Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Father, I come to you through the blood of your son, Jesus, not by my own rights, but by the ones you offered to me, God. I just thank you so much for making a way where there was no way for me, for covering me, God. I just, I just have nothing but thanks in my heart. It's all about you. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. And Lord, I intercede for my brothers and sisters in this room and all of us, Lord, that we would have our t- ears tuned to hear your voice today. Lord, for, for those of us who walk in this room and are just feeling a heaviness, Lord, I just pray that there will be absolute deliverance today, just an absolute freedom in your presence, Lord. Lord, I pray for encounters with you like never before. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to really see your face today. Lord, as we look upon you, Father, I pray that light would shine so in our heart that other people outside of these walls begin to experience the light of your presence, Father. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I was uh, playing basketball with my friend, Evie. Evie, where are you at? Evie, best Asian basketball player I ever met, bud. <laughs> you could smoke, bud. You're just amazing. And uh, no, Evie's legit amazing, just amazing. You're just an amazing athlete, amazing guy. On top of that, like the guy's like wanting to redo like healthcare and like cancer treatment. Like I'm just expecting some really, really cool things from my, my friend and his family. But uh, he asked me to go play basketball with him a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if you know this, but a couple years ago, our church had a flag football league. We were city champs because we just got some studs in this place, you know. And the girl, it was like a mixed league. And our girl, like you think like it was just guys that are amazing. No, no. Like our girls, like we got some like, we got some amazing athletes in this church. And we were just going down to this league thinking it was nothing. And like, we're just smoking people. And we're like, hey, we're pretty good. So second year in a row, we're in the championship game. Doubleheader, it was hot. You were there, Jay. And it was hot. Remember, we were going in. We were going to score the final touchdown to like win the city league again. And I remember it was the last play. And we're like, what, six seconds, right, Quinn, or something? I don't remember what it was. Were you there, Quinn? Yeah, you were there, right? And I go to run this route and I run into somebody and I like hit the ground. And as soon as I get up, like I, I like stumble and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I gotta get open. Cause like, I'm about to score this final touchdown. Like it's gonna be me right here. And I remember like pushing off like real hard. And I felt like somebody just like roundhouse kicked me to the back of the leg. And I fell and I couldn't move my foot. And I looked at this guy cause they were chippy. You know, they were jerks. Like they just flat out were, they were jerks. And we were kind of like getting a little chippy. And I looked at that guy and I was like, you just kicked me and you just broke my leg. And I was like laying on the ground, like staring at him. I was looking at him, I was like, you broke my leg. It's broken, it's shattered. I can't move my foot. Like, and everybody like runs over and they're like, what happened? I was like, dude just kicked me and broke my leg. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't touch you. And, and I was like, kicked me. You broke it. It's broken. It's shattered. And then it almost started to brawl. I don't remember what happened. I just left y'all. Somebody like, carried me off the field. And I get to the side and like I get, I remember they took me to the hospital. I couldn't even take my shoe off. They take the exam and then she goes, you know, it often feels like somebody kicks you in the back of the leg when you tear your Achilles tendon, but nobody kicked you. Your tendon just shattered and it's up into your knee. And I was like, oh, 
And so two years later, I still haven't really run much. Like I've ran once with Adam, but then Evie asked me to go play basketball. And I'm like, to be honest, I'm pretty terrified. Because all I could imagine was like my other one just shattering and just like having the same experience. So I go with Evie out of faith and I'm like, I'm just going to go with Evie and play some basketball. And I pulled out my old reliables, you know, them old school stuff. You ain't, hey, Lester, you haven't seen these in years, dude. 2011 is right. You know, dude, you know, his shoes like down to the year. But I went down to the garage and I had called Shannon the day before and I said, hey, babe. I'm gonna play basketball, I need some shoes. And she goes, Jay, we do not need new shoes. You have 40 pairs of shoes. And I'm like, what? I do have 40, at least 40 in the garage. Go down the garage, I get my old basketball shoes out and I go and finally step on the court with Eby. I wake up early, I stretch, I showed up with Eby, I go out on the court. About halfway through the game, I start rolling with the flip-flop. <laughs> like it starts flopping, the bottom falls off. And I'm like running down the I'm like, Dack. and I'm trying to be cool. Just like, you know, go smooth, like drag your foot, right? Lester just dragged it. And I finally was like, you know, I can't get my mind off of this thing. I can't even play the game because my mind's on my shoe and I can't stop thinking about my shoe and I can't even play. So I said, hey guys, I got to get out because I can't play like my shoe's broken, you know? And I was asking the Lord about this experience because I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? Like, this happens, like things happen to me. And I'm like, Lord, what are, you, what are you speaking to us today? And this is like flat, kind of off subject, but I believe it's a word for our church today um, because I've come across this verse that really ministered to me. And I pray it ministers to us as we step into our word today. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.1, and it just says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, I'm gonna read that again, okay? So I don't want you to miss it. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. A couple years ago, I was a lot like, I feel like my whole life was a lot like my shoes. Like, I felt like there was like a broken piece in my life. And because I really thought about that broken piece in my life, like I really couldn't step in because I had identified myself so closely with the broken pieces of my flesh, I really stopped moving a lot like what happened. I was so afraid of getting hurt again, I just didn't move anymore. And I just, I just wanna encourage us that this scripture is so important because the world would invite us to identify so clo closely with a temporary flawed, broken flesh that we would think we are so broken we are not meant for something really, really special. You are alive inside of your body. The tent you were given is your body, but your body is not who you are. You live forever. We live in a fleshly tent. And if our mindset is so focused on the fleshly tent, we will not truly live. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that if you set your mind on the flesh, it will be death to you. If you set your mind on the spirit, it will be life and peace. 
How many of us have set our minds on the things of the flesh and we find ourselves caged in by fears, caged in by past experiences, caged in by imperfections, flaws, desires to be different, and not really setting our minds on the things that God has intended us to set our minds on and find true life. I believe it's a voice that is very loud in this day that would invite you to identify with this. Because let me tell you something. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I won't, I won't, yeah. Yeah, I think that's enough, right? That's good. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Sorry, right. One thing I want you to know from that, and I really want to receive today, if you hear nothing else, you are not your tent. You are not your tent. You are not your tent. You are far more. And to try to identify with something of this earth is far less than you were ever made to identify with. You are alive. And our true purpose is found in the one who made us. All right. In our time through the word, last week we went through Genesis 3. Today, I want to talk about a story that many of us might have heard when we were young. And probably that might be it. I went online to try to find people who talked about this passage. Uh, anybody ever heard the story of Noah's Ark? I could find it in kids' programs, kids' videos. And I, you talk about pastors talking Noah's Ark. It's like a silence out there, you know? Like, let's just stay away from a weird story. Let's let the kids hear this one, you know? And I got a lot of questions through this video. I really, really do. Because like, think about it. Like we're in Genesis 1, God creates. We're in Genesis 3, there's the fall of man. Genesis 7, God's like, I'm wiping the thing out. It's done. And then we talk about God's loving, right? So like, okay, Jay, like there's a little disconnect here. Only seven chapters in and God's ready to smite the whole thing. Like, tell me about it. So today, here's what I want to do. I really want to discover who he is. I want to really see God's character in this. And then I want to find, I want to talk about a guy's character in this. His name is Noah. And I want to look at this guy because he was described in a couple ways. And it, Jesus actually talks about at the end of days, those days will be like the days of Noah. So guys, I'm very interested in talking about the God of the day of Noah and the man who walked with God in those days. What did he look like? Because I believe in these days, Noah's are going to be risen up. I believe God is calling an army of Noah's in this day. And then what's the call for the church today? This is what we talk about, all right? Before that, there's some facts about the uh, flood. If you're a fact person, some of you all fact people, anybody fact checkers in the room? You're like, facts, it's perfect. I got a video for you. How many of y'all are artists in the room? You're like, I hate facts. A couple of y'all, bear with it for seven minutes, okay? <laughs> And then however you see this story, if you're a fact person or an artist person, I believe it's still got the same message. So check this out. There's no physical evidence for a worldwide flood. This is a commonly heard objection to belief in the account of the great deluge described in Genesis 6 to 9. And many skeptics believe this claim invalidates the Bible and Christianity. And they have a point. After all, if someone can't trust the beginning of the Bible, why should they believe the rest of it? However, the scriptures themselves not only predict this denial happening, but also contend with this declaration, stating, 
For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. 2 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. But back to the lack of evidence claim. Everyone accepts that fossil-laden rock layers cover the continents, and most of these were laid down by water. Could that be evidence for a global flood? Perhaps the problem is not lack of evidence. The evidence is right there in front of us. The problem is that many scientists don't see it because they've accepted a different history of the Earth. They say the fossils are the record of death over hundreds of millions of years, even though that popular view is rife with problems. Perhaps it's simply a matter of swapping worldviews, like taking off a pair of glasses and putting on a different pair that lets you see through a different lens. And once you do, evidence of Noah's flood can be seen all over the earth, from seabeds to mountaintops. Think about it. Whether you travel by car, train, or plane, the physical features of the Earth's terrain clearly indicate a catastrophic past, from canyons and craters to coal beds and caverns. Some layers of strata extend across continents, revealing the effects of a huge catastrophe. The Earth's crust has massive amounts of layered sedimentary rock, sometimes miles deep. These layers of sand, soil, and material, mostly laid down by water, were once soft like mud but they're now hard, solid stone. And encased in these sedimentary layers are billions of dead things, fossils of plants and animals, buried very quickly. The evidence all over the earth is staring everyone in the face. It's no wonder the Bible contains such warnings against disbelieving the account of Noah's flood, as rejecting it has important theological implications. In Matthew 24, 36 and 39, Jesus used the flood as a picture of the coming judgment, Likewise, 2 Peter 3 also associates the flood with the coming judgment by fire. If the Genesis flood were merely a myth, then we could assume and dismiss the coming judgment as mythological as well. But many people, of course, want what they feel is rock-solid evidence for their beliefs. So let's look at some. Fossils, for example. Consider the fact that it takes special conditions to make a fossil, and the world is covered with billions of them in mass graves. In contrast to the slow, standard evolutionary story of deposition of sediments making fossils slowly over hundreds of years, in reality, creatures must be buried rapidly before they rot or get eaten by scavengers. And in fact, vast numbers of animals were buried and fossilized so quickly that some couldn't even finish swallowing their meal or giving birth. And we also have multiple examples of soft-bodied creatures like squid, octopus, and even jellyfish, which turn to goo in a matter of days once they die, being perfectly preserved, certainly not the result of some slow geological process, but rather evidence of rapid burial and fossilization indeed. Another obvious evidence that makes sense in a global flood is fossils of tree trunks, some of them 30 feet tall, standing upright or upside down through one or more layers. This doesn't make sense with the slow accumulation of layers over millions of years, but instead, it's a sign that these polystrate fossils were buried rapidly. Another example, which tourists can visit around the world, is rock layers that were deposited around the globe at the same time. This is consistent with the Genesis account of a worldwide versus a regional catastrophe. For example, the Tapete Sandstone, which sits on the basement rocks of Grand Canyon in Arizona, 
also appears far away in Wisconsin and across the ocean in Israel and Libya under different names. How could a local flood deposit the same rock layer across multiple continents? The Grand Canyon also contains multiple flat layers that are sitting on top of one another without any evidence of erosion in between. Evolutionary inclined scientists believe these were deposited millions of years apart, and in fact, other deposits were laid in the interim in other places. For example, the Coconino sandstone sits directly on top of the Hermit Formation, but there's no indication of any layer deposited between these two layers seen elsewhere. Supposedly, 5 to 10 million years passed before the Coconino sandstone was deposited on top of the Hermit Formation without evidence of any erosion. The Coconino looks like it was in fact deposited immediately on top of the Hermit. Wouldn't you call this evidence for a global flood? Or how about this one? You can go to many places on the planet and see row upon row of consecutively deposited rock layers that were soft when deposited and then bent, sometimes drastically. Rocks don't normally bend, they break because they're hard and brittle. But in many places, we find whole sequences of strata that were bent without fracturing, indicating that all of the rock layers were rapidly deposited and folded while they were still wet and pliable before final hardening. The Tapit sandstone in Grand Canyon is folded at a right angle without evidence of breaking. Yet this folding could have only have occurred after the rest of the layers had been deposited, supposedly over 480 million years, while the Tapit sandstone remained wet and pliable. And there's so much more. We find fossils of sea creatures in rock layers that cover all of the continents. For example, most of the rock layers in the walls of the Grand Canyon, more than a mile above sea level, contain marine fossils. Fossilized shellfish are even found in the Himalayas. We find extensive fossil graveyards and exquisitely preserved fossils. For example, billions of nautiloid fossils are found in a layer within the Redwall limestone of Grand Canyon. This layer was deposited catastrophically by a massive flow of sediment, mostly limestone. The chalk and coal beds of Europe and the United States and the fish, ichthyosaurs, insects and other fossils all around the world testify of catastrophic destruction and burial. So. The evidence for the flood is everywhere, if your assumptions don't blind you to it. But ironically, in changing the clear meaning of God's word to accommodate claims by fallible humans, many who don't believe the scripture and deny the God of the Bible, some Christians have actually done away with some of the best scientific evidence to confirm the Bible's claims. Awesome. Not, not only is there so much evidence for a worldwide flood, but all across the world, there's really all these different epics that basically talk about this flood that covered the earth. And one of the big differences in those epics, basically from the Bible to all those other things, is there's like a, there's like a human hero in all the other stories. And the real difference in the Bible is that the real hero, the real center of the story is not a human, but the God, the creator the one who's actually deserving of something far more, the one who is immortal. And so for me, even just looking at these stories, I'm like, it doesn't even make sense that a person would be the hero of a story, that they would be the center focus because they end up perishing, they end up dying and passing away. That's not even true. There's gotta be something more than just flesh and blood. The Bible talks about the center of the story. And this is where I want to start in Genesis 6-8. Let's learn about God for a second. It says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. The word favor is grace. 
God was seeing the the circumstance on earth. God was seeing this guy named Noah. He was looking at his plight. He was looking at the world, and he made a decision of what to do. Now, some of us would look and read this Bible, and we're like, hey, chapter one, you create, like I said. Now you're telling me, chapter three, there's a fall. Seven, you're telling me about a loving God who wipes this whole thing out. What a bloodthirsty creature, you know? (laughs) But in reality, when you add up all those years, it's about roughly like 1,600 years from chapter 1 to chapter 7. So 1,600 years, and this is what is said about what's going on on the earth. Genesis 6, I'm going to skip to 11 through 13. It says, now, so God saw Noah. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. You think it's bad now. Listen, listen. It's been bad. Everything and everyone was 100% corrupt, he says. So God said to Noah in response to what he saw, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. God saw Noah and God saw the plight of the world. And if you've ever thought, God, why don't you step in and intervene? God's heart is to step in and intervene. And the scripture at the end of the book says he's going to come again, just like you saw him leave, but he's going to do a different thing at the end of this book. To prove this violence, Genesis chapter four talks about a guy named Lamech who calls his wives in and he goes, hey, ladies, basically he tells them this little little, I don't know, a poem or something. I don't know, writing a poem about murder is something a psychopath does, but this guy steps in and tells his two wives a poem and basically says like, I've murdered a young guy for messing with me. How would you like that, ladies? Your husband comes home and writes you a poem about, hey, I killed a young guy who messed with me. And this guy says, Cain was the first murderer and, he, and God basically outed him and said anybody who messed with Cain was going to get sevenfold the punishment. He says, well, I'm not even as bad as Cain. In fact, if anybody messes with me, they get 77 times that. That's the thought process that was existing on the world. Genesis wants us to understand the thought process of everyone on the earth. They had taken like the mercy of God for Cain and then attributed it to themselves This guy named Lamech had exalted himself above Cain and said, hey, I'm not as bad as Cain. So in fact, if anybody messes with me, their penalty is going to be way worse than Cain's was. That's how violent this place was. You mess with me, your head. The place is violent and God saw it. So he tells this guy named Noah that found favor or grace. He gives them even more grace by giving him instructions. Hey, Noah, I want you to build a certain kind of boat. The real fascinating part when I was studying this, like the proportions of the boat that God gave him are almost the exact proportions of our like military ships today. It's in direct proportion of what would be ideal. Really, really interesting when you look at all the details of this story. But he tells Noah to build this ark and it says it's kind of rough to figure out the time frame that this ark was built. But at 500 years old, it says that Noah had three sons. In between when he was 500 and 600 years old, he builds this ark. Now, hold up. We're going to get there. I can't go there first. Okay. Basically, after everything gets built, check this out. Chapter 7, verse 1. When everything was ready, that means Noah had built this ark, the Lord said to Noah, 
Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. One of the things that really sticks out to me says, hey, when it was all ready, God chooses a 500-year-old guy and tells him to build the boat the size of Neyland Stadium, doesn't put a time frame on him. Really, he's just like, hey, man, I need you to build this boat. Like, it's coming. So the guy, this is like the sovereignty of God. The guy that God chooses to build this boat, 500 years old, maybe one of the morals of the story is like, you're never too old. Come on now. Come on now. I'm going to hang on to that for the rest of my life. You're never too old to build some cool stuff, you know? Noah, at 500, builds this boat, set apart, and God doesn't put a time frame on this guy. He entrusts it to this guy, and whenever he finished, it was the perfect time. Flood was coming right then. When it was all done, golly, the majesty of who God is and who he chooses, you don't hold God back. And if he's put a word on your life to go, you got all the time in the world, all the time you need to carry out the work that God gave you, all the time you need. You don't have to be in a hurry. I never see Jesus in a hurry. What would it look like in this day of rush and busy to never be in a hurry? Noah was not worried because he got a word from God. Hurry, I believe hurry is a real enemy today against what God would have us do in this day. I believe he's called us in the midst of a world that's hurrying to get somewhere, actually to get nowhere. Come on now. We're in a hurry to get nowhere, but the same place. We're all going the same place. And if we identify with the things of this world, we will move at the pace of the world. We wanna move with the pace of eternity with the king who's never in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. Jesus wasn't in a hurry. Guys, we don't got to be in a hurry, okay? We don't got to be in a hurry. It's a word there. When everything was ready, he said, man, you're the only righteous one. Do you know what else I see in this? This guy built, I don't know, maybe 100 years, and he's still saying, Noah, I gave a lot of time. You're old. It took you a while to build this boat, and I've been searching still. You're the only one. I'm still sure of it. I don't even want to, do you see God's character in this? Hey, the whole earth is violent. We got to wipe it out. Noah, you're old. Build the boat. You're probably the slowest person on earth to do it, but I picked you. I need the most time for these people. God hasn't changed a bit, but after a hundred years, he goes, you're the only one still. I've been waiting out. And I know during that time, can you imagine somebody building a boat the size of Neyland? Some of y'all stopping for sure. Right? Like, I'm stopping. I'm asking them, what the heck are you doing, man? People in my neighborhood stop because they got two goats. If I, hey, listen, if I build a boat the size of my house, they'd be like, hey, I'm not surprised. You're weird. What are you doing, though? Tell me about it. You know? You're stopping. Everybody had stopped it. No, I guarantee it. It's conjecture, but I'm sure of it. What are you doing, old man? Building a boat. Flood's coming. Got a word from God. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, bud. We'll see. A hundred years of that. Can you imagine getting a word from God and going for a hundred years? Never seeing rain? What a word, man. We're going to get to know in a second. But things haven't changed because Peter talks about that in 2 Peter 3, 9. 
He says, for the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. God isn't being slow today about his promise. As some people think, some of y'all are wondering, God, why don't you step in? Why don't you do it? Here's the answer right here. He's been the same from the beginning to the end. Peter's talking about it. No, he's being patient for what? Your sake. That means he wants to step in. I want to be done with it. I see the victims. I want to step in, but I'm not because I love you and I want people to move in a different direction. Because if they don't, a flood's coming and I know what's coming. Oh, I'm holding it back because I have my patience for them, my care and my love. He says he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. He called Noah, the old man, build me a boat. And he waited a hundred years and still there was none. God's heart is patient and has always been patient. Now, two, let's look at this guy, okay? Let's look at this guy. And if you want, I encourage you, go look in the scripture. I am doing a high view through all of this. I wish I had all year with you guys in this. Noah, but what can we learn about this guy named Noah? I want you to notice this verse, chapter six, verse nine. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. He was described in three, word, or three different little examples here. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person, and he was a guy who walked with God. Here's a couple other things that I wanna, I wanna share with you. Well, righteous. He believed in God's covering for himself. Righteousness has never changed, guys. Righteousness has always been through faith. It's not because Noah was doing something different. It's because he believed God and it caused his life to be different. Thank you, Jay. Righteousness comes by faith, faith alone, so that no person can boast about their own efforts. Noah had the word from God and he believed the grace of God God gave him grace and he stepped in and walked in it. It made him a blameless person, but it was not on his own efforts. It was the gift from God given to him and he received it and walked in it. It made him right, but it was not on his own efforts. He believed God's word over, I believe, what his, maybe his body wanted to say. Therefore, it set him apart. God noticed him and saw him. So righteousness, he believed God's covering, but two, blameless. And if you follow God's ways in your word, it will set you apart. You will be blame-free. Third, he continued by walking with God in what God had said. Here's just some things that describe Noah. Chapter 6, 22. Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded him. 7, 5. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. 7, 9. As God had commanded Noah... 716, as God had commanded Noah, chapter 8, 15, and 16, and 18, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. So Noah came out of the ark. Do you see a similarity here? A lot like Jesus, to be honest with you. And when I think about Jesus' life, one of the most profound things that Jesus ever says, and John, I feel like everything Jesus says is amazing, but chapter 5, verse 19, and Jesus said this. He said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. 
He says this to a group of religious leaders who says, why aren't you following the rules? You should not be moving on the Sabbath. And he tells them, he says, my father's always moving. Therefore, I can't stop moving. No matter what your rules say, God's moving, I'm moving on the word of God. The last thing, guys, that really, really rocked my world through this whole story, Noah never says one word. The whole story. I never saw that in all my life. Noah said no words of his own. Noah only received words. God said, God said, even to the point where the boat stops, two months later, God's like, all right, now. After he released three birds and one finally disappeared, didn't even come back. That means there's dry land, this bird found a home, obviously it's good to go. He still waited on the God, not his own understanding to say, now's the time. Guys, what does this mean for us? That the person who's righteous, blameless, and walking with God never speaks his own ideals, but only receives the ideals from his father? This is the man that's set apart in these days. My invitation, I asked the band to come up, like here's straight up, what is our call today? And if I look through this whole story, guys, what is our call today? If Jesus says in the end of days, it will be just like the days of Noah. It will be a violent place. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money rather than lovers of God. And listen, you'll serve one or two gods. One God will be money and one God will be God. The Bible calls it mammon, God of mammon. This world serves the God of money. You can see it all through the healthcare system right now. We're not worried about healing people. We're about getting the paper, baby. Doctors, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not on you. But I believe there is necessary for us to look in and go, hey, guys, what's really happening? Where's the, where's the kingdom moving this? Is there a place for God to use the kingdom of God to do something really unique and different? I believe it might be. I just invite you to pray with me. Hey, Lord, what does it look like for Noah's to step up in this day and do things that Maybe people will be like, that is the dumbest thing. Why are you building the ark the size of Neeland? Guys, it was foolish in the eyes of men. I believe it's gonna be the days where we look absolutely foolish when we start living upon the word of God, not the word of what culture says. So what is our call today? Last thing, last thing. What is the call today to this church, to the kingdom of God? I just believe clear, plain, and simple. Believe God. Say, Jay, come on now. Bring me something bigger than that. I mean, come on, believe God. What you believe, what you are believing is inspiring the life we are living. What you currently believe inspires your current life. Jesus said that those who believe upon me, you will do these things that I have done and even greater. Jesus said it. I got to do something with all of his words. And it's such a bear. And I'm like, Lord, either that is true or it's not. What do I do with your words? Can I just invite you 
to hear the voice of God today and ask yourself, is this the word of God that I have believed or have I believed another word that maybe I've made to be his, but maybe isn't quite. And I just asked us just to call into question. Let's just call everything into question, like a giant courtroom saying, let's bring everything into question. The things that are inspiring our life right now, what am I believing? Because I would invite us into the days of Noah, because that's exactly where we're at, to be a guy like Noah, to believe God's word. Can I speak some words to you and see what we believe? I just want you to think upon this. I want you to think upon this, okay? 1 John 4, 4. Greater, listen, listen. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Greater, more, is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Is he in you? I believe just like the days of Noah, Jesus is that giant ark. And he said, I am the door. If you desire to be saved, you can come to me and I will be salvation for you. Believe upon me, come into the boat. He stands with open arms even today. And I believe I like Noah am saying the ark's open, come on in. Jesus is that one. And if he is in you, then think about Ephesians 2.10. I just want you to think on this. For you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do good works that he planned for you. You're a masterpiece. You aren't some throwaway shoe. You're a masterpiece, man. Because if God were to step into that shoe, that shoe could do anything. In fact, we'd be more impressed with the shoe if God stepped into it. If LeBron got in that shoe, he's doing LeBron stuff. God wants to show off through things that we think are broken. God is bigger. He's about using 500-year-old guys to build boats the size of kneeling. What could he do with you? You ain't even 500. You're a masterpiece. What about this, 2 Timothy 1.7. Cast all of the things that are anxieties in your life, bring them out, cast them on him, because listen, he cares for you. Do you know he cares for you? He sees you like he saw Noah. And if you're in Christ, the righteousness of Christ has been imparted to you. He sees through the lens of his son, Jesus. All that Christ had has been imparted to you. This is the good news. You are a masterpiece in Christ. And then Philippians 4, 8, this is what he's given you. Would you receive this? God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power love and sound mind. But our responsibility is to step in and receive like Noah did. Noah could have said no, but upon the word of God, he then responded and moved. 
I went and did a youth thing at a school and this little seventh grade girl came up to me and she looked me in the eyes and she said, um, my dad killed himself when I was five. So sincere, like didn't know what to do about it. I was just like humbled that she would like trust me with this. She said, my dad killed himself when I was five. And she said, I started having these terrible thoughts and I don't know what to do and I can't tell my mom because I'm scared she'll be so terrified that I'm gonna do that too. And I heard this knowing so clearly, she believes that she has whatever her dad had. And I said, who told you about all this stuff? Like who told you that you were dealing with this? Who told you that you were this thing? She said, well, I have this therapist that I go and talk to about you know, things in my life. And she told me I have all this thing and she started talking to me and I just started asking her more and more questions. And I just started telling her exactly what I said. Are you in Christ? Yes, I believe Jesus. Do you know what he says about you? And I said, look me in the eyes, look into my eyes and I wanna tell you some stuff. And as I looked into her eyes, I literally saw that fearful little child back in this corner, not knowing what she really was and what was really offered to her. Somebody had spoke a word to this little girl and she had believed upon it and therefore it was affecting the life she was living. It started manifesting in the same way that her dad probably got spoken to. So I began to tell her the truth and I began to tell her about Jesus. Do you know this about yourself? Do you know this is available to you? And I'm gonna tell you right now, you can receive it right now and have it and he's gonna set you free right now. And I said, can I pray for you? Would you give me this right? And guys, listen to me. I don't understand what happened. I am not a shaman. <laughs> I was just like, hey. But I stepped in according to the royal priesthood that the word tells me that I am. I am the royal priesthood the one who has divine rights through the blood of Jesus to step into the holiest of holy places and usher in heaven to this girl. She needs freedom, freedom can come right now. As I held her hands, I began to speak these things to her. I said, Lord, help me pray. And as I stepped in, I stepped in through the blood of Jesus and I said, I prayed this and I prayed this. And then I pray anything that's not submitted to you, I pray to leave her right now in Jesus' name. And literally she, she just, did, and she looked at me. And I felt, I'm telling you what I just felt. I don't know what I feel, but I feel stuff. And I feel this swirl come right here and it goes right here. And I just felt it go right to her. And I was like, what was that? And I was like, what did you, what did you think? And she looked at me wide-eyed. She was like, everything I talked about went out of my heart right when we prayed. Everything left my heart. And all I have, there's like something that it's like, I don't know how to describe it. I can't put words on it, but there's like joy in my heart. And all the thing that I felt like was death inside of me just like is gone. And I'm just telling you like something is so different right now. Come on. Her name's Amelia. You can, yeah, you can pray for Amelia. You love her. Listen, listen, listen. He's showing me what I'm preaching today, believe upon the word. I don't believe anything anybody's told me. You know what I'm finding? The more I step into what the word says, the word is true and everybody else is a liar. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what anybody's saying. I don't care. The word is true. I find it to be more true today than it was yesterday. I'm just discovering. I want to invite you to go on a discovery journey with us. 
to discover and believe upon it. Step in as he's brought you to step in. What has he showed you today? Would you just start there? Let's have a time of prayer and let's just ask him for help. Would you help me believe your word? Is anybody in this room struggling with like internal death? Well, according to the word that isn't from the spirit of God, but God sees you and he's very interested in bringing healing and wholeness. In order to bring these things out, little Amelia had to confess these things to me. She had to bring something out. If you are dealing with these things, confess them, bring them out to the Lord. And during this time, as we like step in and sing, whatever your process, if you need prayer, come, come have prayer. 